Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hanke, and today I am joined by resident panelist Jeff Buchanan, and we are thrilled to have not one, but two guests with us, Captain Adrian Ziad and Deputy Chief Kalila Yancey. Adrian is the second vice president, and Kalila is the secretary and treasurer for the International Association of Women in Fire and Emergency, or Women in Fire for short. This organization has an interactive nonprofit network that provides education, support, and advocacy for fire service women. We're so happy to have you join us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate this opportunity to be on and talk about women in fire. Yes. So that is our topic overall today is women in the fire service. But first, I think it would be fitting for you to tell us a bit more about your organization and what Women in Fire does to serve the female emergency responder community. Could you give us a bit of a rundown on the work that Women in Fire does? Absolutely. I would be happy to. So Women in Fire was created to help um, advocate and elevate women. It began in 1982 with a group of women who were visionaries and saw that there was a need for that support and advocacy. And um, it has just grown into something exponential. It started out uh, being called I Women and um, evolved to Women in Fire. We also have some dispatchers. The organization is international. We have members in Australia, in Canada. It's been a great thing. Our vision is the same. We all are on the same page as far as our mission, vision, values, and that's to advocate for women, help them in this awesome profession to elevate to whatever level it is that they are interested in and the different avenues. And just to have them know that they have support. Uh, we provide training for them that they may not get necessarily uh, at their own organizations. And sometimes women just kind of feel isolated when they're, because it's not a lot of us, you know, it's over 400,000 career firefighters in the world. And, and it's so few women, our percentages are low. And so we're just trying to advocate for them and trying to encourage more women to get into this awesome profession and allow them to see the opportunities that are available. Yes, and to piggyback on what Adrienne said, Women in Fire, we're involved in so many different projects. We currently have a FEMA grant where it has enabled us to partner with NDRI and the NBFC to bring the important information about reproductive health and women in the fire service. And with NBFC, we've just put out a um, discrimination and harassment toolkit that women can use. They can go to our website and download, or they can go to NBFC's website as well to give you some pointers on things to do. Because as we know that women in the fire service on the career side, we're teetering at um, four to 5% overall. On the volunteer side, they're at like 15% women right now. So we know that there's a lot of issues that are sometimes not addressed. And so one of our main missions and goals are to always be that advocate and have those tools and things that the women can turn to and come to us if they need help for things. We also have a mentorship program um, women can go to our website and click on the um, bios of different women and see who may be a great mentor fit for them. 
then like as Adrian said, we have conferences where women can have on um have training where people can feel comfortable with like-minded people and not feel like they're going to be judged. So we have every other year, we have our standalone conference where we include all of that. We have workshops, we have training, but the biggest thing is the hands-on training so that women can come and throw a ladder and not feel like they're being judged and learn different techniques that they can take back. And we also have our one-day leadership conferences that are co-hosted with FDIC. We always open up FDIC on that Monday, and we have a leadership conference where we encourage a lot of women to come out and they attend many classes and learn different skills that they can take back to their departments. And it's just great for them to learn things from different women and share stories so they don't feel like they're alone. But I do, I would be remiss if I did not say that there's men that support women in fire. We have plenty of men that are members, men that come out to our events, men that help do things. They come teach classes. Although women in fire and women is our, um, we strive to help get through the fire service, but we do have a lot of advocates that are men. So we don't want to leave them out because they're very important as well. Absolutely. I think that kind of ties into the whole family aspect of the fire service. And like the more people that you have engaged, the better everyone's experience is going to be. Jeff, did you have a thought? Thanks, Anand. Thanks for letting me jump in first. Thank you, Kalila, Adrian, for for being here. This is super huge and it's such a large challenge in the fire service. And and I and I really want the listeners to hear from from you and your personal stories. And and with that, you both mentioned how few women there are in the fire service. But a special shout out to the two of you, as I understand you're both company officers, so there's even fewer that get into leadership. So kudos to both of you for elevating in the ranks and really leading the way. And, and, and we'll get into that in, you know, a little bit later on in the show. But could you each provide maybe just a skosh more on, on your story and how you got into the fire service and then what led you to women in fire and to say, you know what, I need to get involved with this organization. I need to make a change. So I'll start. This is Adrian. Um, my career began in um, 1995 where I moved to Georgia. I relocated from the West coast. I moved to Georgia and I was always interested in the fire service. And I actually had some male firefighters um, that were high ranking. When I lived on the West Coast, I was in Arizona and they worked for Phoenix Fire Department. I worked in my parents' restaurant and they were um, patrons of the restaurant and they were always encouraging me to get in the fire service. I, you know, expressed some interest and they really wanted me to stay and get on in Phoenix, Arizona. They talked about the low numbers of women, the low numbers of minorities. And so they were very encouraging. Um, the only thing was I was interested in leaving and coming back to the East Coast where we were from originally. So when I got here, then I started to seek more information about that profession. And that's how I initially got into it. I'm in the South, you know, I'm in Metro Atlanta. And so not a lot of women in the fire service, especially in 95. And it doesn't seem like that long ago, but um, it was. And um, just initially, my experience wasn't that great. I was in a smaller department that had no women. I wasn't very welcomed, as you can imagine. They had a preconceived notion of what they thought women would bring or the problems that may arise with us being there. But after um, being there for a time and able to overcome some adversities and some challenges with some of the male counterparts, then uh, it just, it really became like they just needed to get to know us and see that we were there to just accomplish a job 
and um, we love the job. It's a great profession. It's a great opportunity to serve in your community. I ended up changing departments in 2008, and I came to a much larger department here in Metro Atlanta. I work for DeKalb County Fire Rescue, and uh, the opportunities have really been great. It's a larger department, and so there are more opportunities for advancement. So um, the change kind of kind of had me um, a little unsteady initially, but I finally fell in sync and, you know, networking and meeting people was able to make captain. And so coming to Women in Fire, again, I'm kind of getting toward the end of my career. And I realized that I want women to know how great this profession is because our numbers started to decline instead of increase. And I want women to know. So I even got into the recruiting division in my organization to really get out and be able to talk to women and for them to be able to see me and see that this is an opportunity, a great opportunity to financially feed your family and have stability and just to be able to network and meet people and, and just all the opportunities that are available. So that's how uh, I got into Women in Fire because of my experiences over the years. I want to ensure that I'm leaving the fire service better than it was when I came in. So that's really my story. Awesome. And how about how about you, Kalila? So my journey in the fire service started um, my 11th grade summer. I was a fire cadet in my high school where we got our EMT and all of our fire training. Once I graduated high school, um, the city kind of took a different direction. The program kind of was shifting. So um, I wasn't able to fulfill coming in that way. I've known that I've always wanted to help people. So I took a different trajectory still in the healthcare field. I worked at Johns Hopkins Hospital on labor and delivery for a amount of years. And then in um, 2003 slash four, they started saying that they were gonna do a massive hiring for the fire department. So I just went on and filled out an application again. And at that time, I still always kept up my EMT certification and everything because I felt like I really worked hard to get it. And like I said, I've always loved giving back to people. So as time went on, um, I got through the different phases and then I was offered the opportunity to come in the fire department. I knew it was something that I always wanted to do. And once I came back in, I continued to work at Hopkins for a bit because I, I love that. That was giving back labor and delivery, seeing new lives come into the world every day. But once I got really wrapped into the fire service and growing in my career, I knew this is all that I wanted to do. So I, I then stopped working at Hopkins and so focused solely on my career within the fire service. My goals when I first came in was to work in every facet that we offered in my department. And so within my department, I went from... Um, we came in, I had to be trained as a paramedic as well. So I did the fire side, I did the EMS side. I then went on to work in our logistics. From logistics, I went on and took a test to become a chief's aide. So then I worked downtown for a while. Then I went to work as an inspector in the fire marshal's office. I promoted over there to lieutenant in the fire marshal's office. And then I decided I wanted to come back to suppression. So you have to take a test again. So I took another test, became a lieutenant and suppression. And then I worked there for a while. Then I went on to training. From training, I then I went back to my company and took a test to be captain. And I recently, just last month, was promoted to chief of professional standards. So um, that's a new section in our department, Office of Professional Standards, and it's where we'll be dealing. I'll be dealing with discipline. So um, throughout my career, it's been great to see the inner workings of the department. I think it builds 
the character and built to let you know all the fire service entails so that you know it's different things to do. And it's not just fight fire, ride the medic. You can be an inspector. You can be, um, you can do all of these things within the fire service. And so those are one of the things that I like to let people know that the fire service is a career and it's all in what you want to do with it. You can do so many things within it. If you just become a part, Adrian just said that she's a captain and decided to be with the recruiting team. We are always out advocating, even like when we're at women in fire events, Adrian's always bringing back people from her department, exposing them to the different things that women in fire do. And those are one of the things that like, I think that we both pride ourselves on is trying to make sure that we're exposing different people to all that the fire service brings, whether it's women in fire or just our departments or other departments trying to show them the way so that they can get in. And so I, that's just one of the things like that I really love about this job is that there's no limits. You are your limit. You can you can continue to grow and mature and expand in different things. You just have to let yourself sit back and put the work in. It's amazing how much you have seen, again, as you said, of the inner workings of the department. And I think that that is a perfect segue for us to get into our article for today. The popularity of a similar organization called the Women Firefighters of Denver, which is an employee resource group in Colorado geared toward advocacy and uplifting women firefighters. WFFD, as they're called for short, has worked to advocate for a workplace that better caters to the needs of women, and that could include pregnancy and maternity leave, different training techniques, mentorship, and uniforms that fit women firefighters properly. In Denver specifically, women firefighters make up about 8% of the department, one of the highest percentages of women in firefighters in the nation, actually. And the WFFD TikTok channel has over 2.5 million views. So a question for our guests, why is visibility important for female firefighters? In my opinion, because they just don't know that it's an opportunity. It's amazing to me how many people you still encounter that say, oh, I didn't know they, that females could be firefighters. I hear it in the high schools. I hear it when I used to be in recruiting, I would go to military bases. I would go everywhere and I would hear it every single time. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, we've had women to elevate to the, the head of the department as fire chief. So I would think at some juncture, everybody had seen one but that's not necessarily true. Sometimes people are visual. They need to see that that is an option for them. But every time I would go out to the high schools and they would say, you're too small or you're too this or you're too that. And I'm gonna let Kalila really speak to height and stature, but you know, they just need to see it. Some people need to see it to be able to believe that it is an opportunity for them. And so then when you start really peeling back the onion and unfolding, all the different aspects of the fire department as Kalila spoke to, all that it takes to put this together to keep the wheel turning. Like she said, logistics, support services, operations, um, community risk reduction, that used to not even be a thing where we go out and really talk to people about prevention, healthcare. I'm currently the health and safety officer. So I deal more with our personnel and keeping them safe, cancer, um, all different risk and health opportunities. But our public education department goes out and talks to the community about these same things. So it's just a wealth of knowledge. We are trying to serve our community. I'm a faith-based person. I think we were all 
put on this earth to be servants in some aspect or another. So to have the opportunity to go to a stranger and impact their life, I think is truly a blessing. I absolutely would have to agree with Adrian. Um, if you can't see it, you can't believe it. So at times people need to see and know that we're here. And as she spoke on, um, as far as like sometimes your height, your size, your stature are reasons why females believe that they cannot do this job. And I'm a living testimony that that is untrue. I am 4'11". I work in Baltimore City Fire Department that is a very aggressive um, fire department. And we've been that way for years ingrained in this tradition. And I mean, I've done my job. I've hung with the best of them and I'll continue to do that. So it's not about the size, your ability. It's about just knowing it's something you want to do and put your mind to it. You can do anything that you believe is a technique to anything. So anybody, it doesn't matter if you're tall or small, if you put your heart into it, it's a job that you can do. And so I try to um, be a living model for all the women to see size does not matter. You can do this. If I can do it, you can do it. So that's one of the mantras that I go by and try to make sure that I share that all the time. Well, you two are definitely modeling the way. There's there's no question about that. I need to, I need to share with you a story. I need you to be in the tree of trust here. I need you to not judge me right now. That's what I need. And I'm going to share with you a story that uh, Anana has has heard, but I think it's important for what we're talking about here. It was only a couple of years ago. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with the Fire Service Executive Development Institute, great great leadership program. And one of the colleagues in in my class, um, woman deputy chief from a different fire department, and she's talking about clothing. She's talking about uniforms and how her department is specifically engaging with vendors that that manufacture women's clothing. And I, I have to tell you, I was embarrassed because I feel like I'm a pretty in tune dude and I had never thought about it. I never thought about it. And as I get older, it's really important for me to have clothes that aren't too big, that aren't too small. They got to fit right. You know, I started feeling this way, let's say in the last five or 10 years and instantaneously, I'm like, OMG, how must women feel if they have not been wearing clothing that that fit them well? Well, it struck me so much. I went immediately home to the fire department I was working in. And one of my counterparts was a woman and uh, there was a captain that was a, uh, oh, she was a, a vice president of the union. And I said, listen, I am so embarrassed. I can't believe I never thought about it before, but we have to change that here. And I, I was actually taken back, but they were like, oh no, we're, we're good. We're okay with it. Having to essentially tailor the, you know what, out of men's clothing to get their uniform to fit right. And so it, it just kind of puts something in perspective for me. It's like, okay, even when we identify an issue, sometimes there's some culture tensions that are there that may prevent women from engaging in something like, like getting uniforms that fit. And so my question to you two is, how do we get more of those culture barriers broken down and and really make women feel more welcome and, and make them feel comfortable about things like uniforms. How do how do we do that? If we consider it a safety issue, which it really is, then maybe people will take it more serious. Because if your gear is ill-fitting and um, inhibiting your performance, that's a safety issue. 
And that's what it does when women have ill-fitting gear. So if we start looking at it from that aspect instead of a men-women aspect, then I think that we can get more buy-in from um, the naysayers that don't understand why it's a problem. But it's definitely a problem. I don't think a man wants some gear that doesn't fit them properly because they won't be able to use the mall or the Halligan or the chainsaw, throw a ladder correctly when your stuff doesn't fit you properly, that you have the right motion in your gear. And it's the same for a woman. I can go on about things like that when it comes to me. Sometimes I still have those issues. I remember coming in the fire academy and back then, like you definitely didn't have stuff your size. I can say we've come a long way and they definitely try harder. But back then it was like, hey, you grab this coat, grab those boots and you wear it. And we do roof operations here. I know a lot of people, different jurisdictions may not. And we used to do an exercise combing the roof. Combing the roof is where you throw a ladder and you take a you take another ladder up to put on the um, roof so that you can climb that one. And each time I would get to the top, my boots would fall off. My feet were so small that the boots weren't big enough. And I used to be like, hey, watch out. That's a safety issue. But I mean, those things have been corrected now. They're doing a lot better with things like that. People just need to look at it from not a male, female aspect sometimes and look at it as a safety issue, but a safety issue that's dealing with female gear. And, you know, maybe we can get more buy-in from the traditionalists that don't feel like women belong in a job and just look at it like, we're all here to do a job and let's get this done together. So let's solve this safety problem. And Jeff, I just want to add, first of all, this is a this is a safe zone for you to be yourself. Thank you. And secondly, because um, I applaud you admitting that you didn't realize it. And that's OK. And once you realize that you did something about it and that's what we ask, that's part of um, that support Kalila mentioned of our male counterparts advocating for us. And then what we have to do is when we realize that there's a problem, then you just have to continue to advocate, go to your leadership, talk to them. But when you come with um, an issue, you try to have a solution as well. So, cause we can always contact the vendor, see what they offer, see what they have and bring that to the organization. You're just getting gathering information, offer to be on the uniform committee. There are all kinds of ways around that to bring to your leadership. Like, I recognize this is a problem. This is something I looked into. Is this something that we can do? If not, I can go back. I can do more research. I can information gather. Because sometimes you just have to have numbers, stats. And it may involve you asking other people in the department, men and women, hey, how does your gear fit you? Does it fit right? And sometimes over time, it just wears out and then it loses its elasticity. And there's new gear that's needed. And I know that everybody's on a budget, but sometimes, like she said, as far as safety, safety has to be paramount. And so we have to push that to the forefront, talk to them about the safety issues, not so much the female male issues. It's a safety issue for everybody if your gear does not fit correctly. And that's kind of how you can broach it. Um, Cause I've talked to numerous women at, especially FDIC and our conferences, um, volunteer women, I find this a lot in where they're wearing ill-fitting gear. So just try to support them however you can. We have to speak up. It's really what it boils down to. And sometimes that's an unpopular decision, but you're doing it for the greater good. And that has to always be at the forefront of your mind. Anything that's worth having normally is not easy. 
Women in Fire, we have been working with um, research groups as well to combat some of the issues with ill-fitting gear for women. So those are an that's another project that we have been working on, and we'll continue to work on that until we can help um, get other buy-in buy from other departments and other agencies, um, you know, to understand that this is really a problem. I wanted to loop a little bit back to the Women Firefighters of Denver, and you mentioned that you have partnerships. Is there room or does Women in Fire already work with state organizations that do something similar to what you do? Like, tell me a bit more about the network itself that you leverage to help connect women firefighters to each other and to allies. So we have um, several different avenues. We have trustees and we also have state reps. So when we have a state rep in a particular area, we try to navigate uh, our people who have questions, concerns to that individual. And then we try to see where women in fire can support that. So often we have people reach out that want to maybe put on some training or have a, a, a women's weekend or something of that magnitude. And then we see what trustee or because we don't have a state rep, unfortunately, in every state although we are working um, feverishly to have representation. We try to see where we can advocate for them and who's available, who can be there, who can go there. And just to show that support, because sometimes that's what we all need, just that support to kind of, or guidance to kind of get you where you need to be. So that's how we try to represent people in different states. As I mentioned, we have representation and trustees in, in other countries as well. We have two in Canada. Um, we had one in Australia just wherever we can be an advocate, because there are women everywhere. And so wherever we can send you that support to help you accomplish your goal, then that's what it's about. Again, we want to help advocate and elevate um, these women that desire to be in the fire service, that want to be fire chiefs or wherever they desire to be in their organization. We just want to help them find their niche, find their tool, because we all have something to bring to the table and some qualities to help make this better. Any last thoughts about this particular article topic? I think it's awesome that they're displaying all of their talents on TikTok because TikTok is the new end thing. But for us, you know, it's banned in certain places, so they don't let them use it. But, you know, it gets more exposure for women overall. So I think that's awesome. And I was very proud to see it. I was wondering if I should ask whether or not Women in Fire also has a TikTok. That's a world that I am not very familiar with. But as you said, it's a great tool for visibility. So it's wonderful that folks are leveraging it and using it to do good work and to make sure that people know what's out there. We currently do not have TikTok. We have Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, um, but we do not have TikTok. You know, it's been a lot of controversy in some places with TikTok, but, you know, right now that's the mainstream thing. So a lot of people do like it. Yeah, our organization was considering a TikTok as well. So we'll keep you posted on that one, whether or not we go for it. Thanks. Let us know. We'll follow you. I'm sorry, Nana, before you wrap up the show, I, I got to take this opportunity. Cleela, Adrian, you've been so awesome. I think you've been in incredibly humble in telling your story, you're both blazing trails, pun intended, you're in leadership roles, company officer, chief officer, you're a part of so many changes that are necessary. And I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on the show and sharing the message and, and your stories. And uh, it's huge. Jeff, thank you so much for allowing us this opportunity. Um, it's It shows like yours and people like you all who see that there's a need and advocate and um, it's it's we're all working together.
to accomplish the same goal. So it's truly appreciated. Thank you again. Yes, thank you, Jeff and Ayana. We thank you so much for allowing Women on Fire to be a part of um, this awesome podcast. We look forward to more with you all. Thank you. If you want more information about the awesome work that Women in Fire is doing, you can visit womeninfire.org. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Fire Headlines.